everyone. Welcome to Ups and Downs, the podcast where we discuss all things mental health. My name is Ashley. And I'm Corey. And our goal with Ups and Downs is to share the stories of everyone's struggles with mental health while celebrating their triumphs and learning more about themselves and how they fit into the world. Consider this a safe space where you can tell your story if you'd like and connect with the stories of others. No matter what you're going through, remember that you are not alone in this journey. This episode contains mentions of addiction, drug use, familial abuse, dangerous situations, and witchcraft. If these topics are triggering to you, please don't feel like you have to stay and listen. Remember that taking care of your mental well-being is important. So today's guest speaker is Ariel. Ariel, do you want to just give a little background on yourself before we start? Yeah, sure. Uh, Hi, everybody listening. My name is Ariel. I'm a Wiccan and witchcraft practitioner from South Florida and all around nature and animal lover. That is super cool. I haven't heard of a lot of people that are kind of into this, so that's awesome. And I hope to hear more of it soon. So um, just to get our questions kind of going, what was your childhood like? Uh, ooh, yeah. So it's always a loaded question, I know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's probably gonna be a loaded question for everybody. But mm-hmm. for me, um, my childhood was picturesque until it wasn't mm-hmm. anymore. Um, you know, mom and dad, myself and my sister, happy, all is right with the world, and then. Um, some crazy stuff happened with, uh, with my dad. He got back into his addiction. So he went back to drug use and alcohol use and alcoholism, um, and just decided he didn't want to be with my mom anymore. And then from there, uh, my mom packed my sister and I into a car and drove us back to our family home. Uh, and it left me with a lot of questions un asked because I didn't know how to ask what happened or know how to talk about it because my mom was so raw and I got to witness the breaking of my mom when I was eight years old so I got to to witness an adult person going through an extremely stressful and painful situation and as a child had no idea how to navigate that and also had no idea how to navigate navigate the idea that Um, from that point on, I was probably never going to see my dad again, Mm -hmm. who before the drug use was an amazing parent, um, or the best kind of parent he could be for us. Um, so a lot of mixed emotions, a lot of upset. My sister did not handle it well at all. My sister's four years older. So she was about 12 at the time and she, she didn't take it very well at all. Um, that surmounted with her own mental health situation she was going through because she was put on Ritalin. She was very young and the Ritalin didn't help her. She used to get really upset because the Ritalin just used to slow her down. It never used to actually fix her. It, It made her, she was really upset. And finally my mom had her stop taking it but from there she didn't really have a, a proper outlet to express her feelings i had no idea how to express mine um so my sister started to act out and by proxy because i'm her little sister i got to sit in the sidecar of that yeah what she was going through um in retrospect looking back on any of it i don't i'm i have no resentment towards her i don't blame her for any of it but um 
So my mom and dad split. We came back to our family home. Um, my sister started to act out. Um, my mom thought it would be a good idea for us to go to family therapy, mm-hmm. which we did. And it, it did help me at that time to the best that it could potentially help. Mm-hmm. Then my sister started refusing to go. And my mom started to get really into revamping herself and kind of remaking herself as, as, a, as an adult and as a woman um, and trying to find a way to come into herself. As a child, it was just me seeing less and less of my mom because she would go to work, she would get off work, go straight to the gym. And unless she picked me up, and if she's picked me up, I spent it all in daycare. And then I'd go home and I'd be alone a lot. I spent a lot of time alone mm-hmm. as a young person, which didn't bother me at all until I was a teenager. And just, just to confirm, I mean, you said earlier, this was around, you were like eight, nine years yeah, old, Yeah, between, right? this is pretty much between like the ages of like me from eight to about 14. Oh, it was wow. a continuous cycle of being alone. And then when my sister like was home, defiant, acting out, her and my mom getting into fights all the time. And then when my mom was home, because after she started to lose a lot of weight and started to find herself, she started to find activities she was interested in. Like she got to be the person she never could be when she was with my dad. So it was almost like she, she was acting out her twenties while she was in her thirties with two kids, which again, I don't resent her for I I wouldn't, it's not like you can go back and change it. Um, then my sister started getting into really heavy drugs, mm. really heavy drug use, started mixing in with the wrong crowd. And me, this introverted kind of person already, because I just, I was awkward, didn't really like talking to people. I didn't like going through all of these, this emotional stuff behind the scenes. Well, well yeah, because you had your sister who, by the time that all this was happening, she already kind of had that set identity and she had probably had some, you know, likes and interests going forward, but you, you were still young enough to where it's like, you were still figuring that out. Yeah. So you the, were figuring this, yourself out. Yeah. yeah. This is all you had to really go by. Yeah, I was figuring out my own autonomy Yeah. still at that time. And that's like, that's a really kind of shaky age anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so she started getting really heavily into drugs and mixing with the bad crowd. And then from there, we kept getting kicked out or evicted yeah. from moving place to place. We had already moved so many times because we were moving from apartment to apartment. But at that point, we got evicted from the first apartment because she, my sister, had a party while mm-hmm. my mom and I were away. Um, and they called the cops and all of this stuff. So we okay. got evicted from that place. The next place we moved into, um, SWAT team was called because wow. they they were given a tip that a suspect that they were, had been looking for was taking refuge inside of our apartment. Oh, my um, God. And it honestly, the truth of the matter was my sister, a friend of hers, called her and said, hey, can I come hang out for a little while? She had no idea mm. that he was f- actually fleeing arrest oh wow. at all. She had absolutely no idea and really did think it was just a friend coming to hang out. Mind you, they're in a really bad crowd. Like yeah. he deals drugs and all that stuff, but it was, she was under the assumption it was an innocent meeting Yeah. and it was like two weeks before Christmas. <laughs> and 
uh, SWAT team was called. They broke all of the windows. They destroyed everything. They lit, uh, they threw a canister into the apartment and lit our Christmas tree on fire. Um, yeah. And like something that if anybody were to tell me this, it sounds like it's straight out of a movie. Yeah. This is insane. I came, uh, I actually, I, out of emergency, I had to go and stay with a family friend Mm -hmm. for the night. And luckily my stepdad stepped in and actually paid for all of the windows to be replaced. And I came home to my room to muddy boot prints all over my bed and all over the floor from where they had broken the window and jumped onto my bed to come in through my room all of my stuff covered in like a layer of dirt kind of thing um we got evicted from that place obviously uh the next place we moved into and this is kind of where uh i know everybody's different but this is kind of where my spirituality and my ideas of what i wanted to believe in kind of really started to come to fruition Mm -hmm. um i started to kind of find wicca and kind of experiment with it at that time because i was getting ready to get into high school of a a friend of mine from middle school had brought tarot cards to school and was giving tarot card readings one morning before school and i'll never forget i saw her sitting giving these tarot card readings, mind you, this is also when I figured out I was probably bisexual of some degree because I also (laughs) thought she was beautiful and I was in love with her, but her flowing red hair and just shining laughter and just like this vivacious, like light shining from her as she's giving these tarot readings on top of this like silky, like cloth that she had wrapped them in. And I, I was that I was like, ah, whatever that is and whoever that is, Aww. I am count me in. Count yeah. Me in. yeah, I um, am in it. So I started to kind of mix around with the idea that maybe I um wasn't into Christianity or Catholicism at mm-hmm. all because at the time also I was singing in a choir with a with family. And I loved it I because I love music and I love singing and I love the energy of singing in a choir, especially up in the rafters and the vibrations of the sounds. I loved it. It gave me that full on serotonin every single time. Yeah. But then it stopped when people started to interject. Oh, do you believe in God? Do you believe in Jesus? Jesus, all that stuff, which yeah. everybody can believe. Like I, I never told anybody not to, but the words coming out of my mouth felt empty mm-hmm. to yeah. me and I knew I didn't believe them. So see this girl fall in love with the tarot and the girl. <laughs> and um, in this next apartment we moved into, I started to slowly over time start feeling really, really drained. I stopped sleeping. Um, I start getting really emotionally upset for no reason. And at this point, I'm still being left alone a lot. My mom has other activities that she does after work. And this was like beginning of high school. This was yeah. beginning of high school, so 14, like, yeah, 14, 14, 15, 15 right before I, I go into high school. Um, and I'm left alone in this house a lot. And I start to get to a point where the second the sun comes down, I can't be in any of the rooms without a light on. I start feeling fear for no reason. I start have really, really bad dreams. Um, and then it, get, it got to a point where I would fall asleep and then I'd wake up and I would see some creepy stuff 
in the room. I'd see like every single night it got to a point where I was seeing this giant black figure in the corner of the room with these glowing red eyes just staring at me every single night in the same corner. And it got, it, it was terrifying. Um, and it was like that for a long time. And I started to realize um, that there was more than just me out there. Um, and then we had a situation with my sister where um, a person that was in her life accused her of taking drugs from him. And he came to our house with a gun threatening to kill her entire family if she didn't give it back to him wow um and didn't shoot to this day i have no idea if there were even bullets in the gun but before i realized what was happening i peeped him through the window because my my bedroom was the, the front window next to the front door and i saw it in his hand and I climbed, she, her bedroom, my sister's bedroom was the lot of loft, like mm-hmm. up above. I climbed into her room. I'm losing my shit because at this point I think I'm going to die. Like yeah. I'm pretty sure like at this point I'm going to die. Cause I can hear him yelling and screaming. And it's just like, it was a terrifying evening for everybody involved. The cops came, they arrested him. I'll never forget being a 14 year old, having to give a statement to a police officer that I had seen on TV on an episode of Cops. And I recognized him from TV. And I said, am I going to end up on an episode of Cops? Oh, my God. <laughs> because I recognized this police officer. That's that, like, beautiful, still teenage innocence. <laughs> yeah. That's beautiful, Because at that point, like, the haze had bro- had lifted. And I realized that, fi- like, Cops at that point point represented safety in my eyes yeah. mm-hmm. although I didn't feel safe in that house anymore for the moment while they were there I felt like I could breathe um not for much long longer though because the next day the guy got bailed out of prison oh and showed up back at her house with a crowbar this time oh. and started beating at the edges of the door with the crowbar and we had to call the cops again oh my gosh um and then from that point on we got evicted from that place and my mom took my sister to to uh, a place for her to get help and left her there. And immediately once we moved out from that place, it's almost as if everything changed, everything shifted. I also found the secret at that time, which I know everybody kind of makes fun of the secret, but it, well, it, it helped you at the time. It did, it really did because it wasn't, excuse me, it wasn't the secret itself. It was the concept of manifest destiny that was like the beginning flavors of witchcraft for me. Yeah. Because that's really what the secret is. It's just like reconceptualized, like practice, like Western practices and, and Middle Eastern practices that's just been rewritten for like our capitalist media society to feed into and i recognized that on a really deep level and i knew that was just the starting point it was more so the concept of just like if i will it i have the power to will forward my reality and i have to make my reality what i want it to be mm-hmm. ergo i need to get out of the situation so then high school from there and everybody knows high school how that <laughs> yeah. goes oh my god so yeah. awkward and terrible and ugh. But a question for you, Ariel. I mean, it sounds like a lot of instability happened. Oh, yeah, for sure. Between that age of, like, eight to 
even I mean, I'm assuming throughout high school, no stability at all. Yeah. How did this like affect you now as an adult kind of looking back? How do you think this affected you? Uh, in a multitude of ways and at different levels and stages, if that makes any sense. Started off with a lot of resentment, started off with a lot of blame and a lot of anger, um, a lot of anger, um, a lot of unchecked anger and and a lot of um, a lot of emotion that I wasn't allowed to express um, because also at the same time, um, and again, I love my mother, she's a beautiful person, but she came from the generation of why are you sad? You have nothing to be sad about. You have a roof over your head and you have clothes on your body. So you have nothing to be sad about. Also, too, with anger. Why are you so angry? Why can't you just be happy? Like, I, you have all of these things around you. You're so fortunate. Like, you're so privileged kind of thing. So I was made from a young age, especially after the breakup between my mom and my dad, to tamp down my emotions so moving into my own adulthood, I started to come to that realization that I'd spent my entire childhood or most of my childhood um, having my being told that expressing my emotions was a negative thing. Right. And also in that way, invalidating any emotion that I might have that might be associated with something negative. So, so I'm a little curious because... Um backtracking a little bit so talk about the story about how you would wake up and you would see these things like creepy things in like the shadows that to me sounds like sleep paralysis it wasn't sleep paralysis because I could move oh okay um it like I could move and the second I would see it my response to seeing it would be to tuck myself under the covers okay. shut my eyes and literally just say and whisper, go away, go away, go away, go away, okay. go away. So was it from that moment that you realized something was kind of off, I would say, that something was not right with, with you? Or was there like another point? A little bit of both. Um, having kind of done a lot of my own research, especially over the years, and reading a lot and, and doing a lot of extensive Search. A lot of Dr. Google. A lot, of, even more so than Dr. Google. When I was in college, I actually utilized all of the uh, professional papers that you can access when yeah. you're in college. Yep. And I, I poured over any professional papers associated with parapsychology and anything associated with ghost sightings and things like that from a psychological standpoint. Yeah. Because I had, I was being told by everybody around me that the things I'm seeing aren't real and that uh, it's all made up and all of that, those things. But I did have an experience in that house too, where I woke up to something at the end of the bed and it wrapped its fingers around my feet. And nobody can tell me that the feeling of those cold fingers wrapping around my toes wasn't real because that was real and I felt it. So um, I did a lot of extensive research and I came to the opinion that what I was seeing and experiencing in that house was some sort of like energy sucker and it was actually feeding off of my sorrow and was feeding off of the emotions that I wasn't able to express mm -hmm. also too there's a lot of correlation between young people who are going through puberty and 
of ability mm -hmm. of like experiencing ghosts or poltergeist activity P young people who are going through um through puberty specifically young women who go through puberty but also too women who are going through menopause so the change specifically is directly correlating with poltergeist activity uh spiritual activity things like that there's so much correlation in that regard and i was 13 14 in that house and started my period in that house so i really do feel like it was essentially it was feeding off of me because just i had all of this pent-up emotion that i couldn't express i couldn't give out yeah. i couldn't let out of me now before we started um i think you had mentioned to me that you have uh, diagnoses and you did seek help at some point in your, I'm assuming, teenage years? Yes. So when I was in kindergarten, the kindergarten teacher, I'll never forget her, Miss Harold, loved her. Loved, loved, loved Miss Harold. She was so sweet and so caring and kind. She did the preliminary testing on me for dyslexia. Okay. And across the board, complete full-on dyslexia to the point where they believed it was going to affect my, affect my speech. And it still does to some extent. Mm -hmm. So from there, they had a meeting with my parents to suggest that I be put into a special program called Pre-First. Uh, I don't know if the program exists at this time, but honestly, it's crucial in my education. And without it, I would not have been able to make it through school. Um, so I was put into Pre-First. And I actually, through being put into pre-first, which is a grade between kindergarten and first grade, um, <clears throat> that teacher specialized in dyslexia and learning disabilities from that then on. So she not only worked with the class, but she also would work with me separately and actually was one of the people to kind of um, help my artistic creativity blossom because she could see that I excelled really well on any of the projects associated with art and creativity. So she would kind of feed and, and help that blossom because she could see um, that it was really helping me. Um, love, I don't remember her name, but I'll always remember her face. Um, so you've had some type of like mental health intervention. Yes, almost. definitely. Yeah. And from there, I was actually put into speech therapy until I was in the fifth grade. So for like an hour, twice, three times a week, I was taken out of class and put into speech therapy um, to directly, um, you know, counter my dyslexia, which also really did help because it taught me how to read, mm -hmm. um, especially if anybody's out there who has dyslexia or think they might have dyslexia. The best way to help those who do have it is to take a clear red film and put it just a strip and put it over like the paragraphs that you're reading. And it actually trains your eye to focus. And it was really, it, it helped me so much. Um, and I was able to read at a 12th grade level by the time I was in the sixth grade. Wow. So uh, I actually excelled, except for the, the years when I was struggling most with my mental health and with what was going on at home, um, I was nearly a straight A student um, from that point on. And then um, I, I had known that I should seek therapy. I had actually asked to go to therapy and I was always told, oh, we'll work on it. We'll figure it out. We'll work on it. And kind of, it was always put on the back burner kind of thing. Yeah. 
Um, and then um, finally, um, after afterwards, especially when I was in college, um, I did go and get some therapy when I was in college. But then it wasn't until I was an adult and found my way into a magical practice where uh, my magical practice kind of uprooted all of the things that I had swept under the rug and kind of not addressed my entire life and kind of put it all on my plate in front of me and said, okay, here you go. Now it's time now. It's time for you to address this now. Um, had uh, what I consider uh, a mental break. Mm-hmm. And luckily for me, I had the beautiful friendships that I have. So my friends were able to sit me down and say, we love you so, so much. And it's because we love you that we really think that you need to go and talk to somebody. Just out of curiosity, and, and you don't have to answer if you don't feel comfortable, but you mentioned like a mental break. What what happened? Um, it got to a point where I was waking up every day and putting a, a mask on every day. The smile, I'm happy. Um, all of my friends joke um, because at the time my catchphrase whenever I'd walk into a room is hi my name is Ariel and I'm happy to be here Mm -hmm. that was my catchphrase that was my mask and I'd put this mask on and pretend like everything was fine but on the inside I could feel my world slowly crumbling and I could feel the, the the earth crumbling out from under my feet and I could feel myself falling deep into like this pit of sorrow and despair. And then also too, um, my panic attacks started to really kind of show themselves. I, I, I was getting to a point where I was waking up in the middle of the night from a dead sleep in a panic attack, full on. Um, I had a panic attack when I was driving in the car with a friend of mine. I had to pull over because I thought I was having a heart attack it was Mm -hmm. to that extent my whole face went numb my vision started to completely go black I thought I was going to pass out in retrospect it's because I wasn't getting enough oxygen to my brain because I wasn't breathing correctly well yeah by the Um, the time you're you're just like oh my god I'm dying yeah so I had to pull over called an EMT and Obviously, they know what it looks like. They were super nice. And he yeah. walked me through. He was like, look, you're having a panic attack. He, wa- he wa- walked me down, everything like that. But it was from that moment on, I was like, yeah, uh, let me go talk to somebody, see what's going on with me. So I, I went to a therapist um, and talked to the completely unloaded on the therapist. We were in the session. <laughs> yeah. We were in the session for like two hours. And she was she just kept handing me tissues and just listening and just kept handing me tissues. And uh, she's like, we are going to do, we are going to do the testing for depression and anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're going to make an appointment. You're going to come back and we're going to get through this. I came back and sat down and went through the entire, the whole questionnaire, everything like that. Also found out at that time that uh, I have uh, the beginning stages of OCD as well, obsessive compulsive disorder, um, which luckily I've always really been able to kind of rein in, but not really, because the thing about obsessive compulsive disorder is it's it's a range of different things and no two cases are the same and no two people have it the same. Um, So yeah, I at that point was diagnosed with depression and anxiety um, 
at that time. This was probably like six years ago. So from that, I'm, I'm assuming that after like you kind of got those answers of like what's going on in your brain, like you started obviously having to learn how to actually manage them in a way where you could essentially function. So what was that like? Like what what was it like, like realizing that this is what's going on and like really figuring out like how to how to just cope? Uh, it started with creating a safe space for myself absolutely um it really it started with yeah it started with creating a safe space for myself a place that I could go to that was my the place where I could open up I could be myself I could yell and scream and cry and play my loud music and experience my emotion the way that I'd always needed to and kind of learn how to feel again Mm -hmm. catharsis is so important too I mean I think there are a lot of emotions that we think are not healthy emotions when all emotions are necessary. And if you, I tell everybody, if you need a good cry because you're sad, have that good cry. If you need to yell, scream, punch a pillow because you're angry, let it out. Like there's no point in holding any emotion in because it just backfires on you. Yeah, yeah. yeah re- repression, I think, is probably more dangerous than letting it yeah. out. Exactly. And that was my biggest thing because I'd fill up my cup all the way to the top to the point where it was bursting and then everything would burst out and yeah. I would have these not random because they were not randomized like it's a steam pot waiting to blow kind of thing yeah um but I'd have these bursts of emotion where I would just every couple of months I'd just have a few days where I'm just losing like completely losing everything and through my diagnosis I was able to realize oh that makes sense uh, for sure. And the other thing was self-care, mm. um, mm-hmm. kind of the treat yourself mentality, yeah. but treat yourself well mentality. Yeah. Um, because I don't know about anybody else, but with me having both depression and anxiety, I am my number one critic. Mm-hmm. I am my number one bad guy. Mm-hmm. I'm at fault for everything. Everything is my fault, even when it's completely not even a concept of an idea related to me. It's my fault. There's a cruel thing that depression and anxiety does where it just turns your own brain against you sometimes. Yeah, Yeah. it does. And also, too, I don't know with anybody else, but I have that little got that little voice in the back of my head that lovingly loves to whisper to me. That's your fault. You should have done better. You could have thought about that, huh? Sucks, doesn't it? And it's a jerk. <laughs> this voice is a terrible, terrible jerk, um, but it's there. Uh, so definitely self-care and, um, you know, taking time with myself. Now, um, you did mention that you were in choir and you, you love singing. And I also know that you do a lot of things um, artistically. How did those help? Because I, I'm a firm believer in like using art as therapy. And I know you, you do, too. So how, how did that help with everything? So the arts in general probably saved my life. Mm-hmm. Gonna get a little emotional, sorry. No, 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 even fine. that, even apologizing for getting emotional is something I still have to address. Like yeah. saying, I'm not sorry. Like no. I, I'm feeling these things, right? No. Um, but yeah, no, uh, being in the choir and having art saved my life, I'm sure, multiple yeah. times. Because it was the place, it was one of the only places that I could actually express 
and feel alive and feel like a person you know one single person like i i can be selfish and i can matter in this moment Mm -hmm. and the thing about singing i really do believe that singing should and always be for everyone doesn't matter what you sound like it doesn't matter it's just that the ability to just open your vocal cords and just let it out and just sing and express like i got the biggest release and i felt the best I ever felt after I sang. And one of my favorite experiences when I was in the choir, we went on um, we went on a trip to sing with all of the choirs from the tri-state area all together. Um, and we would do this every summer. But this one, this one experience we had this one wasn't for summer this one was actually for easter because it's the eastern music it's it's the eastern music for the greek orthodox church so beautiful and so powerful and visceral and real we all get together and we're in this giant atrium this huge circle atrium with this huge dome massive even a whisper you can hear across the room and we all are bustling in, we all have our music and everything like that. Mind you, I'm a 14, 15 year old surrounded by grown adults and grandmothers <laughs> and, but I don't care, I'm happy. And because of the fact that I I had all of my experience singing, they put me with the sopranos and I got to sing with the, the soprano. Oh my God, it was so beautiful. So we're all bustling in, we all sit down, everything like that. We all kind of, a hush kind of goes over everybody as everybody starts to settle and realize, okay, we're going to, we're going to start practice. It's not even the main event. This is just practice. So we all settle. We all look to the choir director. He looks up at us and he gives us the page to go to. So we all flip to the page. Mind you, we flip to my favorite part of the music, (laughs) my favorite part. And he starts, he lifts up. And we all just all together, we just like release the most beautiful sound and it reverberates off this dome. And I started crying and everybody's crying around me just from this ethereal moment. And there is a part towards that part was a very, very high angelic ethereal note that I can't hit anymore. And we get to this part and I look at the choir director and he looks at me and he nods at me and I just, oh, I just let out this note. And it was just like, it was freedom and it was everything. And it was just, I was floating in a universe of beauty and chaos and sweetness and love. And it was awesome. It was amazing. So. I'm getting <laughs> painted this picture yeah where i just imagined the whole it, thing and it, it's so beautiful because it's like there's so many of you at once and it's like this there's a sense of unity but there's also solidarity yeah yeah, yeah absolutely if anybody oh listening would love any choral music to listen to that it's gonna hit you in the gut in a good way. Oh yeah, send us an email um, and we Ariel will. You can send no, it's you all it, the music. You can straight up just Google it. It's Mozart's <laughs> Requiem. Oh my God, I the entirety of Mozart's Requiem. You put really good headphones in, and you just just let it. Oh my God, it's so you will be crying. Let it all out. It's amazing. Um, but yeah, no, the arts are so important and so crucial, especially for those people who have depression, anxiety, 
ADHD, ADD, anything, because it is the most visceral freedom of expression. And the same too with actual art. So I also grew, grew up being told I had to pick one thing to be good at. And I always refuted that. No, I'm not going to pick one thing. I love all of these things. Do all the things. I'm going to do all the things. Got into pottery, got into paper, artwork, cut paper, all of that. And it was the best thing that I could have done. So that is beautiful. Oh, my gosh. But you mentioned dyslexia. You mentioned the anxiety. You mentioned the depression. Um, You were able to seek some help for, for these things. You were able to kind of include coping mechanisms into your day-to-day life. Yeah. How do you think just learning that you had a diagnosis, that there were ways to manage this, how has that helped you? How has that almost, if it's changed you, if it's transformed you, how do you feel or when looking back at it, what, do you, what have you gained from all of this? Uh, looking back, at the experiences that I've had and that have molded me as a person, they've helped me figure out who I am without defining myself by those things. Because mm-hmm. I did for a long time. I defined myself by a diagnosis or um, angry girl or you know, mean person or anything. I defined myself by my past for so long Mm -hmm. that in especially finding my spirituality and finding Wicca and witchcraft, um, I learned to accept that those things have helped mold me to who I am, but they don't define me Mm -hmm. as a person. Um, And it's actually through this whole journey of especially throughout my own mental health and especially during our current situation that everybody's going in, um, it's actually helped me to realize that I may potentially have symptoms of something else that may actually have been not necessarily the root of all of these Mm -hmm. things, but may actually be the core essence of where all of these things stem from. Mm -hmm. I might potentially, and again, I'm going to go seek a professional, I'm going to actually seek and see if this is a diagnosis I'd be given, but I may actually potentially have ADHD mm-hmm. uh, because of um, so many factors. I have hypersensitivity to sound, to changes in noise at all. I don't like being touched unless invited to. Yeah. Um, I don't like people in my personal space at all. Um, and I also was learning that may potentially, again, I don't want to self-diagnose, but the depression, the anxiety, and also the dyslexia may actually be symptomatic of the ADHD, maybe a factor in it. But you see, once you, I feel like once you kind of have one answer, it's almost like you're building the puzzle pieces to, well, this is me as a person. And now you're able to kind of see the other pieces and how they fit in the grand scheme of of your puzzle, Right. right? Yeah, so I think it's it's very, very wise of you to recognize that there might be something else going on and that you're willing to seek help and to find somebody to help. Yeah. Also, too, even if I didn't think there was more at play with me, um, I still 
want to go and find a regular therapist to have. Yeah. Uh, I know we were talking about this a little bit before, but I think that therapy in general should be normalized and mm-hmm. is something that should yeah. be a part of everyday society. <laughs> Everybody should have one. It should be a completely normalized thing. I am completely on the boat that when we are born, we get our social security number and our therapist assigned to <laughs> The world would be such a better place if we yeah. all had somebody to talk to. Mm-hmm. It's it's a really well-rounded feeling to be able to go to somebody who is that unbiased outside mm-hmm. opinion yeah. um, to not necessarily give guidance because a therapist isn't, I feel a therapist isn't there necessarily to tell you how to live your no. life. No. Just like tarot cards can't tell you how to live your life, but they can definitely hear you. And, and listen. They yeah. can point you in the right direction. Um, I love therapy because they will never give you the answer that you want to hear. Right. Yeah. And I think a lot of the answers we have already, and we kind of just need to learn how to listen to those answers that we have for ourselves as well. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So what advice to anyone listening right now would you give to someone who is experiencing, you know, just... Just that discovery of like trying to figure out who you are, how to maybe use the arts um, to like work through this. And I think something that like hearing throughout your story, something that resonated with me, just coping with being a child in a situation that you have absolutely, and not even not one situation, but multiple situations. Chaotic. Where you just, it was just, a chaotic you, Yeah, just, oh, you yeah, just don't yeah. have control over and how, how to cope with that. Well, naturally we're raised in a society that, gives the idea and the premise that children don't have control over their own autonomy. Yeah. So we are a lot of, not necessarily now, because a lot of my generation, millennial, and a lot of the younger generations are moving away from that mindset. Yeah. But there are still a lot of people out there that have been raised in or might potentially be in a situation of, Um, being raised to believe that they don't have autonomy over themselves and their emotions. So my number one thing will always and always for at the forefront be don't ever let anybody invalidate your emotions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, absolutely. We want to, we're raised to, to, to have to respect any guardian or parental unit that we have or raised to automatically dish out respect and we have to listen to what they say because they're supposed to be right right mm-hmm. no not always and a lot of the times that's kind of in my eyes abusive because you get all the power you're the one that's allowed to feel and yell and throw and do whatever and say whatever you want but then wait I can't mm-hmm. so number one don't let anybody invalidate your emotions because um, we have them for a reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have this range of emotion. Let's feel it, you know, let's feel it out. You know, if you're not comfortable, you don't have anybody that you feel safe with expressing your emotions with, find a nature trail, find a lake, find an ocean, or open up a notebook, you know, Um and find your way that you can express that emotion, especially through art. The thing that I get from a lot of people as well is, oh man, you're so talented. I wish I could draw like that, or I wish I could sing like that, or I wish I could do that. You can. And there's no, the only people that are telling you that you can't are those people who think that they can't too. Yeah. 
You can, everybody starts somewhere. It starts with picking up a pencil and getting a piece of paper. It starts with putting your headphones in and putting on your favorite song and singing it over and over and over again. It starts with the second you feel yourself crying, putting on the sappiest movie you know Heck of yeah. mm-hmm. and just letting the torrent fall and don't ever let anybody tell you not to because at the end of the day, they're victims of their own situation as well. That's very, yeah. very true. Thank you so much for coming on and telling us your story. Thank you for having me. Yeah. <laughs> Any time. Um, I'm I'm always happy to try and share if I know it can help people. So. And if there's any other specific questions that you want to have for us or for Ariel, feel free to message us in some way, shape, or form. And maybe we'll do a bonus Q&A at some point. Yeah, if you guys have any questions, let us know. We can definitely pass them along to our wonderful Ariel. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. Have a good one, everyone. Stay safe out there. Thank you for listening. And if you're interested in telling your story and helping us fight the stigma, reach out to us at upsanddownspodcast at gmail.com. That's upsanddownspodcast without the vowels at gmail.com. And remember, even though we all have our ups and downs, it will be okay.